So the question I want to ask you today, church, what's your name? How do you identify yourself? Naming is a very interesting thing. Very interesting thing. Over the past few weeks, I have the opportunity of helping two friends uh, choose the, their Chinese name for their sons. Not that I'm an expert, because they can't speak English. I can't speak Chinese. So I was explaining, telling them this word and that word, and then how it sounds and what's the meaning. And then they have to submit it for approval by the both sides of the parents, rejected, came back, we have to work on it again, submitted another set of names, was uh, vetoed, come back, you know. So eventually we got a name. The kid has a name now. Finally, on birth set, right? But that's the thing, right? How did you get your name? Well, depending on which culture you're from, depending on which ethnicity, nationality you're from, there's many many ways you can get your name. Some of you are named after somebody important in the family. You know, it's a very important name. It gets given to a person to remember or, or honor that person. Uh, some name, your last name came from the expertise your clan used to belong to. You know, that's what your, your, your family was known for, and that's your name. And uh, for Ch- Chinese people, we inherit, for my family especially, I talked a little bit about this before, there's two sets, right? There's the surname. There's a surname which, for me, I know is from this thing called the Bai Jia Sing, the hundred surname list, all right? Hundred surname list. And so it's, uh, it was listed down on all the surnames that is available. Today, you can go and Google for those who are with Chinese surname, including the Koreans, the, the Vietnamese, right? They're all under that same thing. You can go and Google and they rank you according to the number of people, the population of people having that surname. Uh, so right now, my surname, Tam, is at about 76. Not doing well. Uh, the list was saying you are less than the ratio of reproduction of the average Chinese person. So the Tam family is going to disappear. <laughs> but historically, historically, this is the original list of the 100 name list. It was not ranked according to the number of people you have. It was ranked according to the status of your surname. The first four on the left, Zhao Qian Sun Li, was the name of the royal family. Not anybody can have those surnames. Yeah, if you have that surname, straight away they know you're, you're a descendant of the royal family. And then after that, it's based on your rank in the, in the court, your, 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 your bloodline and all that stuff. And the time is not too bad. We're about, about, about uh, 56 around that, that's where the town name is. Uh, I checked my, my family, uh, the, the book, and yeah, there was one official, thank God for that smart guy. Place us there, 56, in the middle. Not too bad, not too bad. But if you trace the history, every family is from the royal family, they want to claim something. There used to be a, a country called Tam Country, but it was destroyed, so there's no more. Right? But that's where we stand, uh, and that's where my surname sits. And I, I was interesting to, to research a little bit into my name to find out that most of the Tam in the world lives in Hunan. And that's interesting because that's where Tiffany's grandmother's from. Small world, hey. Apparently, 40% of Tams live in Hunan province uh, in China. That's where we're from, huh? spicy food. So, Lucas likes spicy food. There you go. Right? It's in, in the bloodline. But the thing with names is that it's not something you choose for yourself. 
Lucas didn't like come out and then say, my name is Lucas. No, 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 no. no. He didn't get a choice at all. He was dictated, determined by his parents after many night walks, cancelling names that we didn't like and names of friends we didn't like. <laughs> nah, I know that guy. Oh, don't like him. But the name was established, was given to that person, or like my son's case, chosen by the parents. And then it was taught to him. He didn't know he was called Lucas. He didn't know his surname was Tom. He didn't know he, his name is Ping Ray. But every day we'll call him that. And of course, he has a pet name which I shall not expose in public. For those of you who know, shall know. We call him that every day. He listens. Whenever my parents says this weird-sounding Lucas, they look at me. Sometimes the tone is very nice. Lucas. Sometimes the tone is quite harsh. Lucas. Sometimes it was elaborated, elongated. Lucas. Based on a different tone, he realizes the same thing, inundated differently, but all referring to somebody, which the two pairs of eyes seem to be placing on him. Eventually, he realized, oh, that's who I am. I am Lucas. I am also Ping Ray. That's how your name came about, right? Isn't it? Somebody gave it to you. You were taught what that means. You were given, uh, educated from young, brainwashed, that that's your name, that's who you should call yourself. But as you grow up, your name changes. As I shared before, I know who my friends are by how they call me. They call me Junyu. It's from my primary school. Because that's my classmates. We were in Hong Kong, spoke Mandarin. And then it became Tam Junyuk, Cantonese. Those are friends from primary three, primary four, primary five, specifically. Because that's where I was in the Hong Kong Cantonese school. Then it becomes Chunyu. That's Singapore version. Primary five, primary six, right around there. Then it became James. The first time I used my Christian name. They used to call it, they didn't call it English, they kind of Christian name. So they immediately know James is a Christian. Then by the time I'm sec three, the name became Jamez. Jamez, right? Jamez. Jamez is my sec three and sec four friends. Very clear. I hear that, I know who they are. Then there's one person, if you're listening online today, he calls my name, Jun Yu. Only one friend calls me that. Mr. Ong Shu, eh, if you're online. And I know it's him. Only he will call me that. And then, of course, that's the name my parents call me, which you shall not hear about. And then that's the name my wife calls me. So our name is our name, but it it changes, but continuously, our name is defined not by ourselves, but seemingly, continuously, constantly by external factors. They're trying to know who you are. But if you go down the name, you realize that along with the name, it comes other things. By having the surname Tam, when I visit my ancestor village in China, my, I'm from the Guangdong province, not from the Hunan side, I am allowed to enter to places where non-Tams are not allowed to go in. The ancestral hall. The, the village is the Tam village, but there's an ancestral hall that only the, unfortunately, ladies, the male Tams can go in. It's still quite conservative when I last, last checked. And that, that's a privilege that comes along with that. 
But in my family, let's go closer. Like, nobody can go to my parents' house, just walk in and empty the fridge unless they're called Tam. Specifically, James Tam. Go home, ice cream, bread, biscuit, eat my mother's food. No problem. Nobody will complain. Lucas, of course, is the next level. He can do no wrong in the Tam house. My parents won. Because he's the grandson. They're given the privileged name. In my house, there are rules to follow. But at the same time, I won't complain. Why are you sleeping in my house? Have you paid rent for this month? Because he's my son. And that's what the name means. He's just not only a person with a name. His name tells him who he is. And when I gave him the name, I'm saying, you are my son. You're mine. How about the names we call ourselves in front of God? Take me to the verse that we have for today. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Introduction, prophecy of so many things, but most importantly, it introduces the foundational reason why we call ourselves Christians. Shall we turn to Isaiah 43, verse 1? But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. If you go to 43 verse 1, you will see very clearly this is God speaking not to a single individual, but to a nation. And he says, you are mine. Why? Four reasons. He said, first, I created you. I gave you life. I gave you existence. You were not anything. I made you something. I created you, and that's my first claim that you are mine. But secondly, I formed you. And the idea of form has the idea of recreated. I created you to be special, to be unique, to be this privileged person, nation. You gave it up, but I recreated you when I formed you. Second reason why you are mine. The third, even after I formed you, even I gave back your status to you, you again lost it and then you sold it. I redeemed you. I paid a price for something I created, recreated, and was mine, but I didn't mind. I'm willing to pay whatever price it cost to get you back to be mine. And then the fourth reason it goes, but now that I've bought you, now that I've paid the price, I call you to something more. Where are you, church? Which phase are you with God? Have you come to the realization that your very life came 
from the creator God who sustains your every single breath. We ought to for granted we're going to wake up this morning. We ought to for granted that I register with Pastor James, I can come to church. Even if I didn't, I can try. But we took for granted that, right? That it's going to happen. But it could have not happened. And for many people this morning, it didn't happen. You know, it's a privilege to breathe. Even though behind a mask, it's a privilege. It's a gift. It's a reminder that we didn't just come into being, but there's a God who sustained our very existence. Maybe you're at the point where you've neglected to take care of the life that God has given to you. But then you realize that that's happened. You realize you've lived your life not as a person who's thankful to his creator for sustaining him or her all throughout, and you've come back before God, and God says, now I'm going to reform you into who you are. It's like a pot. In fact, one of the pot, container, box, whatever, <laughs> was broken. I realized it's cracked, but then when I took it, I didn't realize because somebody stuck it back together again. Not Humpty Dumpty. It was reformed. I, didn't know, I don't know what happened, but it didn't look all that much different. But it happened. It broke. It was reformed. In fact, I looked at it. I think it's nicer with all the crack lines now. Anyway. But maybe you're at that point where you've been created, but you've been broken, but God has reformed you. Recreated you. Reminded you that you have a life to live as He, your God, has planned for you. But maybe you've been created, you've been formed, but you've decided to walk away. You've decided to leave the presence of God, to, to reject His hands, say no to His love. And maybe you've been in a wilderness for years, but God says, and maybe by the way you live your life, you sold yourself, to things, addictions, people, a commitment to a philosophy that goes against God's way of life. You've sold yourself to that and you can't get yourself out. God says, I will redeem you. I will pay the price. In fact, He's already paid the price for whatever it costs to buy you back. See, grace is free. It's not cheap. It costs God everything. But He's offering it to you because you are His. But maybe, maybe you've been redeemed. Maybe you've accepted His offer of salvation and grace. Maybe you're at the place where you go, God, yes, thank you, but you've not accepted His calling. He's called you to be more than just the redeemed, 
He's called you back to who you were originally designed to be. And who is that? We must then look at the next story. Because without a doubt, without a doubt, the language is clear as it can be that Isaiah was referring to the original patriarch. Genesis 32 verse 28. He was referring to his story when he spoke to the Israelites. He was referring to the original Jacob, which by the way is Hebrew for James. The story of Jacob goes very close to my heart. Every time I read it, it's like, it's as though my dad was given a prophetic name because I feel like I go through his journey all the time. Genesis 38 verse, 32 verse 28, the language is so clear because it was the naming of Jacob to be now called Israel. Let's read it, 30, 32 verse 28. Then he said, God, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. I'm glad my dad didn't name me Israel. Doesn't work. Israel Tam. Mm. But why was Jacob called Israel? Because of this. For you have striven, struggled, the word actually means wrestled with God. And with men, and have prevailed. We were called to be champions, to be winners, to be the one that God calls His prince. See, God is not being sexist when He called all of us male and female prince. Because you know why? Because in the context of the cultural situation that to be called the prince is the highest honor they can give to any male or female. For a female person to be suddenly given the status of prince means he's, she has been elevated out of the sexism that, that, that was controlling the culture to be something more, to receive the privilege that a male only had to receive, but now as a female you get it too because you have accepted God's call to be a prince, Israel. And God was speaking specifically to Jacob at this point. But Isaiah takes it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that he extends this privilege, not just to one person, not just to the patriarch Jacob, but to the whole nation to say, whoever accepts the Savior is Israel. Are you failing in life? Are you struggling? Are you continuing facing setbacks in areas of your life. Maybe it's how life you thought you would live a, a life a certain way and it's not where it is today. Maybe spiritually you think you'll be this super Christian and you look at yourself and you're ashamed of who you are. But God says, you are Israel. And do note that you're called Israel not because... Not because you've overcome by your own strength. In fact, if you read the story of Jacob, which I've read many, many, many times, Jacob failed. He lost. He was submitted by God. 
he fought all night, and at the end, he realized that God was, in a way, letting him struggle. Not because God can't overpower, God was letting him experience the process of struggling, of wrestling all night in fear. Because mind you, Jacob, before God came, was at a point where he was so afraid for his life because he has wronged his older brother Esau. And he was coming, he thought he was coming to kill him. And when somebody touched him on the shoulder, he thought, this is it. This is the fight for life. I'm going to do all I can to hold on for my life. Then to realize that it's not his brother. By somebody more. And then he realized this is God. He didn't gain victory over Esau. He didn't gain victory over God. All he did was hold on to his legs and say, I will not let go until you bless me. Have you let him go of God's leg? You realize that some of you may be at the point in darkness where you're striving with God, and that's a good thing. You know why? God's right there with you. God, who before this, if you face him, you die. God, the very appearance of God will have killed you. But God in this context held, allowed a human to come into contact with him. And I, it doesn't say, but I'm very, very sure that this is Jesus. God in the form of Jesus, before he was called Jesus, angel of God. The revelation of who God is coming to strive with Jacob. Where Jacob was there and he allowed him to touch him because by touching Jesus, he touched God. Jesus says, I'm the only expression of God. In the striving, you come into contact with the almighty, powerful creator of the universe. That's what you've been given. The privilege to be called into greatness, not by your own effort, not by your own works, not by your own doing, but by holding on to God. And because he held on, and you know the next step, which is the craziest thing that took me a long time to understand. God touched him at the hip, and he went limp. He went limp. At that point was when he succeeded. The point where he no longer has the, the ability to walk normally was the point where God said, you are now Israel. In fact, the motive of this verse is so interesting that as he limped away, given a new name as Israel, the sun rose behind him as a sign of blessing. Because if you read Genesis, the day he ran away from his family and Esau, the Bible specifically mentioned a very interesting thing that the sun set. And the sun has not risen until this point. He was not in the blessing of God. He was in darkness because God has not left him. But then at this point, he's really, truly embraced the light, the sunrise showing God's greatness and grace. And because now he's living as the called of God, Israel. Where are you, church? Are you living life as the called? Are you living life as what your name suggests you should be? 
the redeemed of God, called to greatness in Him? Or are you just living life day by day, making it through mediocre, surviving, sustaining every step with all your energy and that's all you have to give. God doesn't call us to survive. God calls His followers to thrive. It may not be in the worldly way. As we see in the story of Jacob, it was in his weakest point when he accepted his weakness, when he accepted his imperfection, when he accepted help, that he was greatest. It is at our weakest, as Paul says, that we are the strongest. We no longer try to do anything to earn God's acceptance, forgiveness, redemption, but we live in victory because we already have redemption. Only by knowing your name, knowing who you are as the Son of God, can you really live victoriously. You're not here to earn the right to be the Son of God. You live as the Son of God. How are you living? Chasing after things to satisfy your desire. That's what Jacob did. Did all he could, used his own smarts to get his blessing of his father. Then had to run away. Then he, he goes to his uncle, wanting to marry his beautiful wife. Then got tricked and then got to work and then work and work. And then he tricked his uncle, stole his sheep and ran away, living in guilt and shame all his life, only to come to the point where he's going to like give it all up. He sent them ahead of him. He stayed behind, almost at a point saying, I'm just going to die. But then when he came to the point where he thought he was going to die, he's, he's not willing to give up. And because of this decision to hang on, he realized what he has been striving for all his life was wrong. Looking for the wrong things and realized finally that when he's limping and he's weakest, that's where he's gained everything. He then fully became Israel, Prince of God. Let us go back to Isaiah. What this story has to tell us about our identity as followers of Jesus, as the redeemed and called of God. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. <clears throat> it says, everyone, not Jacob, not just the Israelites, everyone who is called by my name, check this out, Listen carefully to what God is saying about you. Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Church, what are you created for is for the glory of God. And that is amazing. You can't start to behold and understand what does that even mean. As a human, we strive for human glory, personal glory, I've been on that path. I was, I was on that path for 10 years, striving for my personal glory. And when you reach the point, you think you've got it. And it's like, what is this? What is this? That I realize that's not what I'm designed to do. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to bring glory to God. 
And I don't even start, I don't, haven't even begun to understand what that means, but I want to. And every day as I seek to understand a little bit more, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm called to do that. And I'm just getting a glimpse of this wonderful life of bringing glory to God. So much more. I used to think, all right, God, I'll, I'll glorify you by being very successful in what I'm doing so that God will be proud of you. That's very Singaporean, eh? But I don't want that. Imagine like Lucas, all he does, the only motivation he has to do well in school is to make dad proud. I mean, I don't mind, but that's not the best life I want him to live. God wants us to bring glory to him, not because he needs it. I don't need Lucas to do well and get all A's just to be proud that he's my son. He's already my son. He doesn't need to get A's to earn his right to be my son. He doesn't need to do well in life to be my son. He's already my son. You know what's the greatest glory he'll bring to me? It's living life in the way that he was designed to be. And as an earthly father, if he tell me one day, Dad, sorry I failed school, but you know what? I love Jesus and Jesus is helping me go through this failure. I'll be the proudest dad in the world. But if he comes home and he says, Dad, I got straight A's, but I hate God. That would be the worst thing for me. God doesn't want us to earn his favor to, in order to, 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 to be his child. God says, you are ready. But then you live your life and bring this glorious going on and look at what that means. 44 verse 21. Isaiah 44, 21 says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. And you're like, what? God is treating us like slaves, like servants? No, no, no. The word here, be careful to look at the word. The word here is not a status identification. Because the identification was Jacob and Israel. Jacob, the supplanter, but then became the one who overcome the prince. The servant here means the one who lived his life according to my will. And then we're like, God is such a self-serving, narcissistic God that he created an entire humanity to serve him. But then you realize the service that he's saying to him is a reflected service to you. He's saying that my greatest desire for you is to love me because I love you. And that experience of love is the greatest push I want you to experience. But let me explain a little bit more. Let's go on. That his greatest desire is for you to see yourself as a servant that is weak. What does that mean? The greatest desire for him for your life as Israel, as the overcomer, is to recognize your need for help. The, the, our current society says do not acknowledge weakness. Do not say that you need help because that is not accepted. But, but what if 
the help is coming from somebody who can help you in a way that nothing else can help you with. So when I was working as a lifeguard, there was one time where we came into work and there was this guy who was drowning. In fact, he's kind of just drowned. Right? At 6 a.m., he was drunk. Heavy guy. We came in and we saw that because you know, obviously, when somebody face down in the pool, not even moving very much, you know his problem. So me and my friend, 6 a.m. in the morning, our brains had not even woken up, took off our shirt, jumped into the pool, dragged this guy out, put him on the floor, and what's the first thing we did? <laughs> CPR, right? Imagine at that point. Imagine at that point. If you have any strength left and he's dying, and we say we should respect his will and ask for his permission to give him CPR. That, that dude is dead. But he's so helpless. He can't, he can't live, he can't have life in him. He can't, have, he can't even use his body, his lungs, which are designed to absorb oxygen into him to even breathe in any oxygen. So we have to force oxygen into his mouth and compress his heart and compress his body to make his body work mechanically exteriorly to make him live. The way the Bible describes us is this. Most of us are like that person. We're at a point actually that we can't do anything about ourselves, but we strive. We strive in this level one existence where God says that's not who you're designed to be. You're not designed to live the Jacob's life. You're designed to live the Israel life which is not even level 10, it's the next stage of existence. You can't get there by trying to get there by your own effort. Imagine trying to build Lego staircase to level 58 of a HTB condo, whatever it is. Ridiculous. But that's what we do every day. Lucas loves it. Lucas says, Dad, build a high tower. Build a high tower. And then with the Legos, we'll build a high tower. Because we ran out of bricks, I bought more bricks to build a high tower. Oh, and we built the highest Lego tower uh, we have ever seen in the house. But it hasn't even reached the top of my TV. And that's the effort we're trying to do with life. We're living life, trying to strive for meaning, trying to strive for existence, trying to strive for, for recognition, for glory. And it's just a Lego house compared to a 58-story condominium. And God says, let me show you the lift. Let me show you the tools I have, the excavator, the bulldozer, all this machinery that you've never even thought of because you're just playing with Legos. And God invites us into the experience, but it can only start when you realize that we're playing with Lego. We can only be strong when we are weak. So how do we go about doing that? See, when we do not see God as who He is, we do not see ourselves as who we are called to be. See, first thing you need to recognize who God is. God is not just a vending machine. God, not, God is not just a, a super expert at life. He is the creator of life. He is the God and the master, the Lord, the king of kings of the universe. Recognize his elevated status. Guess what? He elevates you. When you dumb down God to a philosophy, a thinking, a reasoning, a logical discussion, he is useless. But only when you elevate this God that you're talking, discussing every week 
to who He is as God, to realize He's beyond our human comprehension, He's beyond our understanding, He's beyond life itself, then you realize, oh, wow, I'm called to be His Son? First of all, recognize who God is. Recognize how small you are. When we do not see what God can do, because you don't realize who He is, we do not see what God can do through and with us. We don't recognize how powerful your God is. You wouldn't ask for the power because you think you can kind of mimic His power, but you're nothing. But then He wants to offer that power to you. He wants to give it to you. He wants to bring you out of Jacob to be Israel. Do you want to, Israel? The question He's asking you. We do not hear His words and instructions, and thus we do not experience His comfort and protection. Some of us are going through a really hard time right now. And we think God can't help us. Because you've seen God just as a therapist, counselor, band-aid. Have you recognized God as God? Who can do things beyond your understanding, beyond logic, beyond just the normal way things should go because He is God. We rationalize. God can't do that. It doesn't happen anymore. Why? I'll tell you why. Because you don't believe. You've dumbed down God because you went to school. Just confession. The more I realize, the more I go study, the more I realize I was too proud in who I think God is. He's more. At every 10 years of my life, it happens. 20 years old, you have an epiphany of who God is. I think I knew all about God. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's awesome. Then at 30 years old, I realized all that thing I knew at 20 years old was nothing. Then I go and I'm now studying again about God and I realize, wow, that epiphany at 30 was... Then I realized, no, no, no. Even at my point, which I think I've come to this great revelation of God, is just maybe primary three of who God is. To experience the comfort and the protection of God, you need to understand His words, that the words didn't come just from a dead printed text on paper. This is God speaking to you, written down. God wants to perform meaningful action, not just philosophical, feel-good, imaginary, positive-thinking things in your life. God wants to perform meaningful action in our lives as individuals and as a community But first, we need to recognize who we are. And once you understand who you are, you receive the authority and power to surrender control over to Him. One of the things that we do every night is we go for walks to burn off my son's never-ending Duracell rechargeable energy by air itself. I'm going to go walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And sometimes I walk too much. I'm like, oh, I forget. We have to walk back. But the problem is, I have to walk back, but my son realized he doesn't. He'll walk, and then he'll do this maneuver, the cut off my path, and he faces me, and he does this one action. And then I'm like, two kilometers of 16 kilograms. But I can't just ditch him, right? So sometimes I have to carry. 
gave him the right? Why does he have no shame? Because he knows who he is. He's my son. If daddy says no, backup plan. Mommy. He knows he can. He knows he's tired. He knows that he can ask for help. He knows that when he can't walk anymore, he can go and say, Dad, carry me. When you recognize who you are, Lucas already do, for, for me, but do we recognize who we are in front of God? To surrender control? We think surrendering control is bad because Lucas can't have control where he goes when he asks me to carry him. I don't think he minds because he trusts that that will bring him home. When we don't surrender control, because sometimes maybe we don't trust that God is going to bring us to the good place. We think that God's going to like torture us. God's trying to like get us in trouble. God is trying to like bring us through burning fire or something. Sometimes that is also good. But when you recognize who God is as your father, as your creator, as your sustainer, as your redeemer, as your caller, then you let him carry you. One of the most awesome experience you can have. As you go to the closing song, Holy, Holy, Holy. I need to think. The Holy, Holy, Holy here is not this, I've explained many times, not this special, privileged God that is unattainable, distant, that is so far away that if I come before His presence, I die immediately. No, 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 no. God is saying, I am set apart. I'm different. I'm not anything this world can offer you. And in fact, the song, Holy, 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 reminds us that this, this communal interaction, this relational God, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who comes together to embrace us, invites us into this relational connection with Him, and says, recognize who I am. I'm the God who can give you the power to overcome whatever you're overcoming. But in fact, I want to offer you something more. I want to carry you. So the choice is ours. The most powerful choice in the world which you let him. Amen.
Let's receive the benediction. Holy, holy, holy. May the grace of God the Father, the love and fellowship of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's empowerment be with us every single moment to help us realize that God is the Father who loves us and invites us to lean on Him. In Jesus' name I pray. Please be seated for a moment of silence.